Merritt Street, we're building a new morning show where our guiding principle is to always value your time. We'd love for you to join us. Be part of our community. Each morning will be packed full of news, information, advice, and a lot of fun. And we promise we'll never waste your time. I'm Dominique Soxa. I'm Fanchon Stinger. Join us for Morning on Merritt Street. 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Essential Television. Did you ever have any idea you would spend 20, 30 years on television? No, I never thought. I was dyslexic as a kid. My mother would always say, look, because of dyslexia, you're going to have to work twice as hard as the other kids to get the same thing. You seem to me to take the high road at every turn. I'm not saying you don't get upset or you get mad, but when you've got a lot of cars and you live in Beverly Hills, <laughs> I didn't get this. Oh, shut up. Shut up. Is there anything more annoying than whiny rich people? You know, it's yeah. hilarious. That was Jay Leno. Legendary Jay Leno, I might say, talking to me. I'm Dr. Phil, and you are listening to Fill in the Blanks. You know Jay Leno, but a few things about him. Uh, He's been a full-time host on Tonight Show for 17 years before. Really, it was a forced retirement, frankly, and he talks very candidly about that. What people didn't know is so many nights when Tonight Show was over, He jumped on a small Learjet and hopped over to Vegas and did a show in Vegas every night. He has two income streams. And what he always said is he banked his Tonight Show money and lived off of his comic money. Think about that. Not one dime from the time he started till he retired, he never touched one dime of his Tonight Show money. He always lived off of being a stand-up comedian. And, I mean, the guy's done films. He was in American Hot Wax as far back as 78. He's won Emmys for The Tonight Show, Jay Leno's Garage. He's in the, the Hall of Fame for Broadcasting and Cable, People's Choice. Uh, he's got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He's even an author. He's written children's books, How to Be the Funniest Kid in the Whole Wide World and If Roast Beef Could Fly. He's written Leading With My Chin. I mean, th- listen, Jay and I are good friends. We've been friends for a long time. I think I've done The Tonight Show like 50 times, but this was a chance for us to sit down and just talk as friends. And we actually did it in Jay Leno's garage. And when I say garage, I mean garage. They look like hangars, 140,000 square feet with 12 foot ceilings. And there's more interesting stuff in there than you can shake a stick at. So. Anyway, you're on Fill in the Blanks. Hit your subscribe button. Let's stop talking about Jay Leno and start talking to Jay Leno, which I'm going to do in less than 60 seconds. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's amazing how much people are getting their information now on this kind of thing, the podcast. Right, right. I wanted to do it with you because I wanted to do the person that I had the most in common with. I admire what you do so much. Why, thanks. I was thinking the other day, when I started doing Dr. Phil 17 years ago, the first text had never been sent. There was no Instagram. Think of everything that's changed since we started. FBI were our friends. Russia was our enemy. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, so much has changed. (laughs) I mean, but really, when we started, we're three channels. Yeah, that's right. ABC, NBC, CBS, that was it. You know, it's funny because I grew up in an era of Channel 2, Channel 4, Channel 7. Yeah. And when I hear kids go, yeah, it's Channel 781. What? I mean, when you say Channel 4 to them, they, yeah. it's a different, they don't, what does that mean? You know? Yeah. And now even CBS, I do promos sometimes, you know, like we do for our affiliates. Right. Say, tune in to me at three o'clock on CBS 65. Right. What right. the hell is CBS 65? Right, yeah. Did you lose your yeah, affiliation or something? Yeah, what yeah. the hell is that? Yeah. Very funny. When did you first get a building here? Uh, my first building was uh, 91. Oh, really? 90, yeah. Because I, I just kept stuff at my house. And then the neighbors thought, hey, <laughs> yeah. how many cars you? Move next to a junkyard. Yeah, right, the... right. So I, I said, I better get out of here. So I, I bought the building. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of those people. I like to come back here and work on cars. You know, there's that old saying, the heart is happiest when the head and the hands work together. Mm-hmm. And when you write jokes all day, you're just thinking with your head. And then you come and you work with your hands. And it's just relaxing. Yeah. And you're accomplishing something. You feel like you, you, you've you done something, you know. You still do comedy all the time? Oh, yeah. I do about 210 dates a year. 210 dates a year? I'm on the road, yeah. Wow. So now you travel where? All yeah. over the country? Everywhere, yeah. Do you try to do swings where you do like two or three at a time well, on the swing? Well, obviously try to get stuff. Because you don't want to do Alaska and then Miami and then yeah. Juneau, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a bad route. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. But I try to... I come home every night if it's west of the Mississippi, because that's kind of how you stay married, you know. So if it's a two or three hour flight, yeah, that's, that's not a problem. Then you come home. Things happen on the road, which don't happen in Hollywood. I was I was working in Canada, a little town, and I was staying in a hotel, like a comfort inn or something. It was across the street from kind of a a mall. So I walk over the mall, and there's like a little restaurant. I'm eating there. This guy comes over. He goes, uh, "You're that? Uh, are you that TV fella?" I said, "Yeah, I'm Jay. How you go? Oh, oh, yeah. You like being on the TV?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I like being on the TV." He says, uh, "Can I ask you a question about show business?" I always wondered. I said, "Yeah, what's the question?" He says to me, "You know those commercials where you see the gals who are washing the hair in the shower and everything?" I said, "Yeah." He says, uh, "Do they have any clothes on when they do those commercials?" <laughs> So I said, um, oh, no, no. I said, in fact, my friend's job is to audition those girls. They have to take a shower, and he watches them. He goes, oh. he goes oh, is that really? Is that, that really happening? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, and he decides which one's, you know, perfect. And he must see 15, 20 girls a day. He goes, oh, wow. How did he get a job like that? Eh? I said, well, I guess you'd have to go to Hollywood and, you know, 
auditions. But you could see he had this fantasy going. It just, it just made me, I just love that kind of stuff. Yeah. You have to get away from Hollywood to, to, to kind of see what real people laugh at and what they like. You know? Yeah, because we are in a bubble here. Oh, yeah. No, this is, yeah, this is uh, such a, this is the stupidest bubble. Yeah. I mean, the best example of that is, I'm not going to say who it was. All right. I had somebody on the show, a big star. And during the commercial break, he says to me, hey, you like cars. What's a, I want to get a sports car. It's a good sports car to get. I said, well, this, at the time, I said, this new Ferrari came out. It's just unbelievable. And he said to me, yeah, but you know, everybody's got a Ferrari. I go, okay, first of all, everybody does not have a Ferrari. Okay, if you ever say that publicly, you'll be taken out in the streets. You'll be beaten and killed. Okay, do you understand that? You, you need to get out of Beverly Hills. It, most people have never even, I know guys that have never even seen a Ferrari. You know, the idea that you think everybody, you don't want, because everybody has one. I mean, it was the most hilarious thing I'd ever heard in my life. Yeah, we do live in a bubble. Yeah, it's a bubble. When you pull up to valley parking and every car there is 200,000 bucks right, and up, right. I mean, you live and, in and a bubble. And those are the cars that belong to the valets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. The $200,000 ones, yeah, yeah. Did you ever have any idea when you were growing up? I know you wanted to be a comedian. I know, even though your fifth grade teacher wrote on your report card, if you had spent as much time studying as you did trying to be funny, you'd be a great comedian yeah, someday. Yeah. Did you ever have any idea you would spend 20, 30 years on television? No, I never thought. I was dyslexic as a kid. I was, my brother was the smart one. I can always remember my parents having one of those but what are you going to do with Jay conversations? Not realizing I, I was in earshot, you know. And I was, uh, I was lucky. I was a huge believer in low self-esteem. My mother would always say, look, because of dyslexia, you're going to have to work twice as hard as the other kids to get the same thing. And when I would go to, like, you go to the improv in New York to audition, and you'd line up at 6 o'clock, like on a Sunday night, for an 11.30 or 12.30 spot. You just get there for that spot. And there might be 50 people ahead of you. And I remember sitting there at six, seven, eight, nine. Inevitably, guys in front of you go, I sucks. I'm getting, I'm getting out of here. Oh, great. I move on. <laughs> you move know? up the line. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I, I looked at it. You know, I, I, I like to work. I took every job. I didn't ask how much the job paid. I just took the job. And I always figured if you're any good at what you do, then maybe the money will come later. You literally stood in line to audition for a spot? Oh, yeah. That's how you did it. Sure. Still and the do. spot was how many minutes? Oh, just three or four minutes, five minutes. Three or four minutes? Yeah. And try. so you'd stand in line for five hours to get up and do three or four minutes? Well, where are you going to get an audience, really? Once I got reasonably proficient, I would go into bars in Boston, and I'd put $50 on the bar, and I'd say, the bartender, let me go up and tell jokes. If people leave, you keep the 50. If they laugh, give me the 50 back. I lost 50 bucks a few times, yeah. but for the most part, people said, that's eh, okay, kid, keep your money, but don't come back. Or, that wasn't bad, you know, come back tomorrow. You don't have to put the 50 on. Oh, okay. And you sort of got in that way. You know, the idea was just to try to get on stage, just to try to get in front of an audience. I have to say, a lot of people, no kidding, believe that it's just luck. Everybody thinks they can do a talk show because they can talk. They think you're a comedian. They think, hey, I'm funny. Everybody laughs at cocktail parties. So I could do that. I could be a stand-up comedian. But 
I don't think they get how much you work to well, get to that good. point. Well, that's good. You don't want them to get that. No, of course not. It's like saying, okay, here is the funniest joke <laughs> I have ever written. Are you ready for it now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that wasn't that good. Yeah. But if you just, if it, if it appears to roll off the top of your head, yeah. then suddenly it's hilarious. The trick is to make it look easy. If it looks hard, it's not going to be funny. Yeah. I mean, Oprah told me when I started, she said, you know, the biggest problem you're going to have is you make it look easy. Yeah. And so everybody's going to think, you know, you're just shooting That's from right. your hip. Do you remember the first joke you told for money? There were two jokes when I was a kid in school. I can remember one time I was maybe five, and my mother took me to my aunt's house, and there were a bunch of ladies having tea and wine or other things. And I was sitting on the floor, and there were about six women, they were all yakking. And I looked at the women. And I asked what I thought was an astute question. I said, why do women have humps like camels? And I hear this, oh, oh, oh my God, did you hear that one? Oh, oh, Kathy, your boy. Oh, oh, oh. The women are like, you know, plus they've been drinks. They're like falling. And I thought, what did what, I say? What did I say? That, what, what did I do that kind of right? So I, I always remembered that. And I, I remembered, you, you tend to remember everything you say that got a laugh because it like it it puts a little notch in your brain. You just yeah. you just sort of remember that. I mean, I can remember when I had Mrs. Allen, who I still talk to, my fourth grade teacher. We she's telling us about Robin Hood, and she said how cruel the sheriff of Nottingham was, and and she would boil, she would take Robin's men and boil them in oil. And I said, well, you know why she did that to Tuck? And she said, why? Because he was a friar. And she said, "All right, all right that's done." And I could see, I could see her, I could see her like laughing but chastising me. And then when I was in the hall, like the next day, a couple of she said, "What is it you said to Miss? What did you say to Miss Allen about that?" I said, "Oh no, Friar Tuck. Oh, Friar, Friar that's what I thought." Oh, and and these things sort of work. Yeah, you set me up one night. I don't know if you remember it on the Tonight Show. You remember this? Oh, go ahead. You remember Tracy used to get on us because you and I would get back in the dressing room. She said, you guys are having the whole show back here. Right. You're staying back here too long and talking, and this is great stuff, and you should not do this. And you said, you think you can do this? You should go out and do the monologue. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, that's and right. And then yeah. you went out without me knowing and told everybody in the audience, okay, Dr. Phil's going to come out and do the monologue. Nobody laugh. I don't care what he says. Everybody just sit there on your hands. Don't do a thing. That's right. Just sit on your hands. Right. And then you send me out there to do the monologue. And it looked like they'd set up a bunch of dead people in the chairs. And I'm like dying up there. That was fantastic. What gave it away was I look over there and you're dying over there on the side laughing. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was really funny to you. Oh, yeah. It was hilarious to me. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I got a little sense of just how tough it is. And you've never forgotten that. He no, still, hell no. He I've still been, holds a grudge. Yeah, that was like 15 years ago, yeah, I think. Yeah, easy. So, yeah. Easy. Yeah, you seem to have forgotten it, but I don't. <laughs> is there a zone you get into? Is there a feeling you have when you're on stage and you... You hit the sweet spot, and oh, yeah. you know it's working. Oh, I know exactly, exactly what you mean. How do you describe that? You know, it's the fastest, fastest, fastest ninety minutes of my life. Because you can get on, you can turn on the act, and it's silly to say, but the laughs hold you up. There are a lot of comedians that are mean, and mean can be very funny, but when you have one that's not mean, oh, then they don't, they don't like you. You know. I never got this school of comedy that's just angry all the time because I was not a, never an angry person. There's a great joy in doing this. It's fun to tell jokes. It's fun to make people. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah, but there, I know what you're talking about because 
if they're with you and they like you, they'll laugh to make you happy. They'll laugh to be happy with you. And it's just a good feeling in the room right. versus somebody being like really hostile, yeah. bombastic. And comedy. crowds think as one. Yeah. By that, I mean, there's a mob mentality. If somebody heckles you and you're too mean back at them, oh, then the audience will side with the heckler. Hey, hey. So you need to have to kind of let them down gently and go, yes, yeah, sir. Go. What were you saying, sir? Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, and now they get nervous and, you know. Do you have a first move strategy with a heckler? No, 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 it's always different. I always try to figure out what they're heckling about. Uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm sorry we don't have microphones for everyone. What was it, sir? I'm sorry. You know, yeah, what did you want to say? And then they go, well, uh, you, you suck. Oh, good. Did you write that? That's very clever. You know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Do you typically win them over? Yeah, for the most part. If you don't win them over, you win the audience over because they, they sense, look, you gave this guy a chance to acquit himself and he screwed it up even worse. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's, I told a story once that Johnny Carson, I just love this story, but it was true. I worked in Atlanta. There was a strip club, or in Georgia, outside Atlanta, called The Mine Shaft. And back then, there were no comedy clubs. You, I used to just you'd MC strip joints. And the, the gimmick behind this club was the club had no lights, no lights on the stage. When you walked in, you paid 10 bucks for a ticket. And for another 10 bucks, you got a miner's hat with a light on it. Okay. So you had like 100 guys with these light, right? And I'd be standing in the dark, and there'd be like a naked woman, you know, dancing. And all the light would be on the woman. And I'd just be in the dark. And when the guys would look at me, it'd be, ow, hey, you know, it was like starting a Harley headlight right in your eye, you know. And it would just, it'd just be this all the time. Just lights going all over the place. Just, just hilariously awful. That's terrible. It was terrible. Oh, yeah. I, I, mean, I worked the awful so place. So you're telling jokes while there's a woman stripping over here oh, and yeah. all the lights. Yeah, around there, here. yeah. So whenever I hear a comedian complain that, oh, the lighting was bad at this, it makes me laugh. It makes me laugh out loud. I remember opening ones for Rare Earth. Do you remember them? Oh, get yeah. ready, get ready. Yeah. So I'm on stage. I got the mic like this, you know, and I see the mic cord go down the stage and it appears to go into the audience off to the, I go, that doesn't look good. And I'm talking, <laughs> somebody pulls it and the mic goes out of my hand. So now I'm, I'm going through the crowd like, hey, give me that. Excuse me. Hey, hey, give me my mic, give me my mic. And I got charged 75 bucks for the lost mic and I didn't get paid. They stole your mic? Yeah, they stole the mic. Because yeah. they wanted Rare Earth to come well, on? I don't know. Yeah, whatever it might be. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, I learned very early on. The first club I ever worked is a place called Lenny's on the Turnpike in, in Saugus, Massachusetts. And I was opening for Buddy Rich. This is my first time ever. The guy goes, please welcome young comedian Jay Leno. And, the, and I hear a guy go, we hate him. He sucks. I'm thinking, well, how did they know? Did I want, did I know my parents? How, how, how could, how could I say? You never, I've never been anywhere. This is my first time. You don't they know me, me. Did they see me come in and they based it all on that? You know, you're trying to use logic, and you know there is no logic. How'd it go? It was. I mean, look, it was so exhilarating to be on stage. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I sucked, but I thought, oh, I must have done pretty well. Yeah. yeah. Has comedy changed? The things that they're doing on stage now. I wasn't hearing 20, 30 years ago in terms of the off-color and that sort of thing. The really good comics can use it to an advantage. Uh, really bad comics use it 
because they have no alternative. Um, I mean, I think if you watch Richie Pryor uh, or any of these guys, any of the great guys, Carlin, and they use bad words, whatever you want to call it, it's actually very funny because that's not the focal point. Of, that's not the punchline of the joke. It's somewhere on the way to the joke. What do you think it is about some people, like Bob Newhart's a good example. He's a friend of mine, and I can walk in the room where he's just sitting at a table. He can just look up and look at you, and you just start laughing. You know something? I love him because he's a great wordsmith. He knows most good comedy is economy of words. You try to get to the funniest place in the shortest time possible. And Bob always picked the right word for the situation. I remember he had a very obscure little joke. It's one of my favorites. I'm paraphrasing him. It's about an astronaut who has the first encounter with extraterrestrial life in outer space. And he comes back to Earth, and the newspapers are asking questions. He's got the space helmet, you know, blah, 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 blah. And one of the reporters asks, well, how much, how further ahead of us are these aliens? And Bob says, about six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Not, and he goes, six weeks is perfect because two weeks you could catch up to. Six months is six months. But six weeks, is, it's just further, further enough away that we could never catch them. But you know what I'm saying? But it's just, it's just the phrase, six weeks. I mean, isn't that funny? Oh, my God. I mean, it's just such a funny, it's such a funny turn to find exactly the right phrase. Why do you still do it? What keeps you going? Because oh, obviously, no, I know the money's not bad, but less the fans, not the players. Yeah. You don't have to work. Well, I think everybody has to work. It's well, the basis not for of, finances. Well, I when mean, you come you're from not a sort of Calvinistic sandwiches. New England sort of background, you, you, you sort of need yeah. that. You should be working. Um, as I said, I was a kid who was never a good student, and, and I didn't I, – my, when I was in school, the guidance council called my mother in and said – have you ever thought of taking Jay out of school? And my mother said, well, why would I do that? And he said, you know, education's not for everyone. <laughs> and I said, hey, I'm in the room. Hello. <laughs> right here. He goes, Jay, you work at McDonald's, right? They have a program where they teach you how to make change. You go to Hamburg University. I go, I don't want to work at McDonald's the rest of my life because I was such a bad student. They just want to get me out of there. So the idea that, ooh, you'll pay me to go tell jokes. I think most people, when they hear a joke, they tell it to their friend. And the more they tell it, the better they get it, the better they get at telling the joke. And eventually they're like this, waiting for people to come by their desk so that, well, Larry, come here. And you want to make people laugh. Most people like to want to do that. And that's what I like to do. It's fun to, to go on the road and have a story and work on it and work on it and get it down to where it's just perfect. And then you share it with What do you do to get up for it on those days that you just don't feel like going out there? Maybe you're physically sick or... You're just in a bad mood or you just don't want to go out there. Oh, my God. So Just shut up. Stop whining. Never explain. Never complain. That's my thing. Stop whining. You, it's, it's a thrill. It's an honor to be able to do this. It is such a treat that I can do it. And I'm still at age 68. You can still go out and work and do it. I love doing it. So the idea that, oh, you have a headache. Oh, that's sad. No, what do you do when you're so tired? Oh, shut up. Really, it beats working, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've had jobs. They suck. Yeah. 
I think sometimes I'm like really tired and don't want to do something. And then I think about some of the people I interview, like Michelle Knight, who was held for 11 years by Ariel Castro up in Cleveland. Oh, right. I remember, yeah. Chained to a pole and stuff. And I'm thinking, my knee hurts. I'm ashamed to even say anything after I interview her. You know, it's like, I'll never complain about anything again. Yeah. It's like, we don't have a bad deal. You no, know? we have a great deal. My dad never brought his problems from the office home. When he came home, we had dinner, and that was it. It was never how to go today. What was the, it, it just wasn't discussed, good or bad. You know. And my wife sometimes get mad at me. She go, "What's that thing in the paper? You and Letterman are fighting." Oh, it's not. Because when I get home, I'm home, and you put it away, and it's it, that's it, that's how you stay married. How do you get along with Letterman now? Do you ever talk to him? No, not really. The interesting thing about this job is there's only a few dozen people in the world who have done it, so you can have shared experiences with. But no, I don't really hang out with him. I mean, if I see him, I, how you doing? He, Dave lives in New York. I live here. Um, not similar. I'm not a big sports guy. He likes to go to sports. So it's, it's, not, it's not something I... Do you watch the late shows now? Watch, Tonight Show, Kimmel, some of those things? I watch the monologues. I like jokes. Yeah. You know, I watch them all, Samantha B, Conan, everybody. I, I like jokes. I mean, most of the guests I've interviewed, so I know, well, that guy's yeah. full of crap. I know that. Yeah. You know, you're that, that kind of stuff. You know, we live in an era now where if you don't like the performer's politics, you don't like them, regardless of the material. You know, the fun thing, I did it when, you know, uh, Bush was dumb and Clinton was horny and it was an easier time. How did you keep from crossing the line of going too mean-spirited sometimes because let's face it you had guests on that were dumber than a box of rocks yes sometimes and it was i remember like, we had this talk show host once and yeah i, tried I remember to trick him into, guy try to trick him yeah. into doing the model no no yeah. go ahead no no good. What are you gonna say? how do you know where to stop because it's real easy to you cross know, that line you know you know where to stop is by going out on the road and you look your audience in the eye and they're five feet away from you, you're not quite as brave as when you're in a studio. When you have to face the people you're talking to, uh, that's one reason. And, and when I got The Tonight Show, I used to keep that in mind. Would I say this to this person if they were actually here? And that's sort of how I did it. It's tough sometimes because I've watched you do it and you tend to get them involved and get them laughing with you, yeah. even if it's well, at themselves. Well, you can make people laugh at themselves. Like when we do then the, the jaywalking. come down. Yeah, you know, we do the jaywalking thing. We never surprise anybody. We'd say, can we talk to you? We're going to ask you about American history. Okay. Yeah. And do you ever watch our show? And people go, oh, yeah, those people are so stupid. They don't know anything. I go, who was the first president? Abraham Lincoln. Okay, good. Good talking to you, sir. Yeah, yeah thanks you know, a lot. You know, Sign this release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was <laughs> fabulous. Yeah. My favorite ones were, how was Mount Rushmore formed? You know the most common answer? Erosion. <laughs> Erosion. Like, not only did the wind and rain pick four presidents, it picked four of our greatest. It's not like Polk or Harrison got in there. You know, yeah. pick four of our greatest presidents. Yeah. Just wind and rain, just years of belting. Oh, my God, look at that. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's not amazing. Oh, that was good. And that was, and most people think women got the vote in 1966. That was, that's another one. Yeah. Oh, man. But you got to tell me this. One night, 
you were working and Steve Martin brought Johnny Carson in. Yeah, yeah. To watch you do your act. Did you know he was there? Yeah, I did. Of course, you do. Of course. So they didn't sneak in and watch you from the shadows. You knew he was there. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the great thing about people always think it's this horrible cutthroat business. It's really not. I mean, I brought, uh, not Johnny, representatives from the show, in to see Ellen DeGeneres because I thought she was just great. I always got more work from other comedians than I ever got. Really? From, yeah, Steve Martin was very helpful, Johnny, um, all because the, they would come, how Harvey Corman would come in. He brought, he brought Johnny in one time too because I had about a half a dozen auditions before they thought, yeah, I'm not sure, we can't tell. You know, some finally when Johnny came in himself and said, yeah, I like this guy, give it a shot. Johnny gave me a great piece of advice the first time he came in to see me. He said, you're a great performer. You really, you can, you can take a weak joke and make it funny, but here's what you should do. He said, write your jokes out on a card. Go out and say it to the audience as flatly and as dull as you can say it. And if it gets a laugh, you got a funny joke. Now, take that same joke and add the performance aspect to it, and you got a joke that works on two levels. It works on the joke itself is funny, and you made it funny by adding a... A funny voice. Really? I never had the opportunity to meet him. I wish I had. Oh, and you never met Johnny? No, huh? and one of the, I guess, compliments that I'll always cherish, he was talking to David Foster one time, and he asked him, are you sorry you retired? Any regrets? And he said, well, I would like to have had a crack at Dr. Phil. Oh, did he say I, that? I'd like to have. Uh, oh, that's funny. I'd like to have interviewed him, and uh, oh, that's cool. They never did, but yeah, I. Yeah. So I've always wondered how that would have gone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. So they tell me these uh, archways in here are from the Tonight Show. Oh, they are, yeah. Some, a lot of old Tonight Show stuff here. Yeah. It's called recycling. Yeah, but it's cool. I'm not a big memorabilia guy, but they were throwing all those pieces out, and they thought, that'd be fun. There was a lot that went on at the end. Mm -hmm. Do you have any bitterness about it? No, don't have any bitterness at all. Did you at the time? No. We've known each other a long time, and... You seem to me to take the high road at every turn. You didn't ever seem to be pissed off or critical? No, because people don't watch you for that reason. They like you for a specific reason. Right. And that's what you do. I'm not saying you don't get upset or you get mad, but nobody, you know something? Whiny rich people are the most <laughs> annoying thing in the world when you've got a lot of cars and you live in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and I didn't get this. Oh, shut up! Shut up! Oh, yeah. That's whiny. 
Yeah, whiny get, rich people. I mean, is there anything more annoying than whiny rich people? You know, it's yeah. hilarious. There was some controversy about that, but what you're saying is you still got in a private jet and flew off and did comedy for big bucks when you wanted to and came back and did yeah. what you love. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like you had to move. No, I got the same friends I had in high school. Been married for 39 years. Um, I, you know, Tim Allen thinks this is the funniest phrase about show business. And I always say, here's show business. Don't fall in love with a hooker, okay? Because that's what it is. If you think show business is your friend, it's not. How'd you get along with Johnny? There was some friction in the beginning a little bit. Uh, but ultimately, we got to be good friends, and he was very helpful. There was a special called Johnny Comes Home. I think it was 1982. Uh, where Johnny went back to Nebraska. And they found Johnny's father's car that belonged to a guy local who still had a 39 Chrysler. And wow. Johnny, Johnny went to the prom in that car. Johnny had his first relationship in that car. <laughs> and Johnny drove it. So NBC, as a surprise, bought the car and gave it to Johnny. Okay. Then when Johnny died, it went to a museum. And Last year, the museum called me up and said, we got a letter here from Johnny that said, when you guys are through with this car, give it to Lennon. So it's, I got it right around the corner. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's I'd like neat. to see yeah, it. Yeah, I'll show it to you. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Here it is here. See the green one right there? Oh, wow. Now you could get busy in there. That is a big car. This is Johnny Carson's dad's new car. He bought it new in 39. Bought it new, huh? It never been out of Nebraska, I don't think. They pulled really? out the registration with Johnny's dad's name on it, so they you used didn't. it. They used it for the show, and uh, and then Johnny brought it back here, and then he gave it to me, which I was really touched. Yeah, really, I would be too. In yeah. fact, there's still some of uh, some of the stuff from the Tonight Show when Johnny hit it in the back seat. There's a, oh, a yeah. you know a portable desk that they had mm -hmm. next to it and stuff. You know. Yeah, that's great. That was the first sort of four seater. They used to call that the Italian Rolls-Royce. It was a four-seater Lamborghini. Uh, they're pretty cool, actually. It's one of the few cars I actually have to move the seat forward for. Really? You're, yeah, you're a big guy. You fit right in that. Yeah. What does it take to get a man like you in this kind of car? Yeah. This is the kind of vehicle you should be driving. Here, here you this go. has got my name on it, it's right? It's got your name all over it. Hey, hop, hop right in there. Plenty of leg room. Look at that. Oh, man. This is big. A man in your position should be driving this kind of automobile. Yeah. Of course, I'm safe because you've never sold anything. No, you never sell anything. Look at that. This is a 1934 Rolls-Royce P2 chassis. We built the whole body here at the shop. It has an engine from a Merlin Spitfire. Oh, wow. That is a 27-liter Merlin aircraft, you know, out of the, yeah. the Battle of Britain, the plane that yeah, won the, the Spitfire. War. Won the war. So how much horsepower is it turning? Uh, probably with carburetors and no supercharger, 1,100, 11, 1,200. So you can get up an exit ramp. Yeah, I live in a hilly area, so you yeah. need that little extra yeah. push. Gas mileage is not something you want to ride home with. No, I wouldn't think. What's it weigh? It's not light. It's I'm probably... 6,000, 7,000? Probably closer to 5,500. God, that is beautiful, though, Jay. Yeah, she turned out nice. Yeah. And you know that one, that's the tank car. I've seen you driving this. This is Schwarzenegger's favorite car. When he comes, yeah, I love the tank car. It's, it's fantastic. It, it looks like the Terminator here with the, with the big metal in the front and the, the giant face. Yeah, they're perfect for me. I would drive this every day in L.A. if I could.
Well, and I love the motor in this. That's an M47 patent tank engine, air-cooled, put Bosch fuel injection, and we got uh, Banks turbochargers on there. So she goes good. Can you ride it at 60 miles an hour and be comfortable? Uh, it's been comfortable to 140. Oil change is 17 gallons. Jeez, 17 gallons of oil? Yeah, if you go to Jiffy Lube, it'll cost you 1,500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll show you something. You might remember this, Dr. Phil, or you may never have seen it. Before tape decks, before audio system, before uh, serious radio, you had this, the Highway Hi-Fi. Oh, I've never seen that. You've never seen that? No. Oh, that was an option of Chrysler in 56. You got a record player in the cars. You could just kind of drive around and play records. Well, the idea was you're supposed to pull off to the side oh, of the road. Oh, get your woman out. Yeah, do a little, yeah, little yeah, dancing yeah. by the car. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But now it, that I never saw. What year is this? This is 56. But it moves at 16 and two thirds, not 45. See, this going slow, the slower they could get it to go, the more stable it would be. Yeah. But you can only get your records from Chrysler. So the only two records, oh. are, all they have is uh, Davy Crockett and Pajama Game. <laughs> that's it. So if you don't mind listening to Davy, Davy, that's, that's pretty much all you have. Well, these are all Bruff Superior motorcycles. These are very rare English brand of motorcycle got made famous by Lawrence of Arabia. He sort of helped promote the brand. Oh, really? They, they were the first 100-mile-an-hour superbikes in the 1920s. God, these are gorgeous. Well, thanks, thanks. What's the oldest one in here? That one there, 1919. Look right here, look at this, Dr. Phil, look. It's literally a bicycle brake, see? Yeah, it just grabs <laughs> a, just grabs a, 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 yeah. You don't really stop as much as retard progress. Yeah. I don't remember what year it was, but you and I bought Corvette Z06s. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think you got 01, I got 02. Yeah, there's 01 right there. That's the... The this first ZR1, 001. Now, these things are like a NASCAR with a radio in it. Yeah, that thing was crazy fast. I loved it. There's another room in there that's got airplane-powered cars and a lot of military vehicles. It's got a tank, which is perfect for L.A. Is a tank in there? Yeah, yeah. What do you do with the tank? Uh, it's the best thing for getting around traffic. You move that gun turret and people just get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. There is no road rage. That is a, uh, what they call a ferret. Technically, it's a scout car, but it has tires instead of tread. Yeah. So it goes 60 miles an hour on the freeway. Really? It's bulletproof. It's amphibious. And with LA's potholes, this is what you need. This is amphibious? Well, you can go up to water up to here. Well, that's amphibious. Yeah, that's amphibious, yeah. Now, this looks like a boat. It is a boat. It's an amphicar. You drive yeah. this in the water. It's a boat yeah. and a car. Yeah. Those are pretty good-sized props. It goes about 10 knots an hour. Yeah. Have you ever taken it in the water? Oh, yeah. We did it on the show. Yeah. In the water? You just drive it right in. You know, Lyndon Johnson had one of these in his ranch. And what Lyndon Johnson was, he'd take Dignity a ride, and he'd head towards like, oh, the brakes fell. Oh, oh, oh. And they would do, oh. And then he would drive into the water with it. Yeah. So how many square feet you got here in all these cars? 140,000. 140,000 square feet? Jeez. There's a couple more buildings next door. But I didn't know you had 140,000 square feet. I always say to people, it's a garage. Oh, it's hangar, right? No, 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 it's a garage. And they go, I was in it, it's a hangar. No, no, hangars don't have 12-foot ceilings. you got to love this. Do you just spend all your time here? Uh, this is my Malibu beach house, yeah. I don't think there's anything you don't have. Huh? 
Is there a limit to what you can hold in here? Can you hold 200 cars, 300? We'll have to find out. Yeah, you're going to test it, right? How do you buy all these cars? Cash. From your comedian money? Yeah, yeah. That is evidence that you're a funny son of a well, no, no, You've got 186 right. classic okay. cars here that are astounding. You know, a lot of comedians like to do what they want to do. This is what I do. Talk about your financial strategy because you've made a lot of money in comedy you made a lot of money with tonight show uh but you had a strategy about that what was it well my strategy was the same strategy as i said being dyslexic i'm not particularly good with numbers so even when i was in high school i always had two jobs i would bank one job and i would live on the other job and i worked at mcdonald's and i worked at a ford dealership when i was in high school then I started doing comedy, and I would always bank my money from the regular job and spend the money I made as a comedian. And then when I got to Tonight Show, I always stayed on the road. Because TV is one day you're on TV, next day you're not. It's over, and that's it. Yeah. And that's it. When I was doing The Tonight Show, I'd always work at least minimum three nights a week somewhere. Vegas, Arizona, whatever. Plus, it would give me a chance to see what real people laughed at yeah. and what they thought was funny. I said, I'm going to live on the money I make as a comedian and just bank all the TV money. So I never at one, ever touched a dime of the TV money. And I still live on the money I make as a comedian. I, each job, every time I buy something, I go, okay, i got to get a job this week to pay for this. I'm not a mortgage guy. When I bought my house, okay, here's a bag of 20s. Give me the house. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a mortgage guy. I don't lease. I don't really use credit cards. So you banked all of the Tonight Show money? Yeah, pretty much. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever take a vacation or is this your vacation? I'm not a vacation guy. Do you ever go on a vacation? You know, Seinfeld and I talk about this all the time. You go, what if you took a vacation and you liked it? Well, now you're screwed because you're not working. You know, so um, I, I, one or two days is fine with me. I, I mean, I went to China for six hours. That was good. There's a wall. There's a piece of orange chicken. Okay, I'm out of here. That was, that was fine. I can't go to a city as a tourist and enjoy it. But if I go there to do business and I do the business, then I really enjoy the That's, city. Yeah, it's the same as me. Same uh, as because me. I feel like a sucker yeah. if I'm going there just to tourist around. But if I go there and do yeah. business and then I do that while I'm there, then I really enjoy it. I feel like I'm killing two birds with one stone. You know, I travel by myself. Like a while back, I was in Milwaukee. I'm doing a show at a casino in Milwaukee. did not have a hotel. So I come off stage about 12.30 at night, and they say, well, we'll drive you down to the hotel. Oh, great. Okay, we've called the hotel. They're expecting us. Great. Drive downtown, go through, go through an alleyway, down down an alley, you know, back with the trash cans are. Door opens. Guy's waiting. Miss Lano, come on up to your room. Oh, thank you. Takes me up to the room. Give me a key. If I, if I go to bed. I wake up the next morning. I go, well, I got a couple of hours before my plane. Let me go walk around the walk. So I'm walking around, a slice of pizza. I meet people on the street, you know. And I realize, I don't know the name of my hotel. <laughs> so I take the key out. It's not on there. Well, it's a card. It's got a picture of a woman in a spa doing this. And I, I don't know what hotel it. So some guy goes, hey, Jay Leno. Hey, how you doing? Hey, pal, come here. Um, where's the hotel? Which one? The one people stay in. You know? What's that? No, I don't know. So I ask a couple of people. And they go, oh, there's a couple of hotels down there. Hyatt? No. I, I, don't, I don't know. 
And then two cops pull up. Hey, Jalen, what are you doing? It's him. I'm just looking for my hotel. Uh, what hotel is it? Well, I, I don't really know. And I hear, yeah, older man here. He's a little confused. Doesn't know the hotel. And I'm, I'm, I'm like at a five, what is a 501 hold or whatever it is, like for a crazy person. I said, guys, I don't know. They, they go, get in the police car. So they take me one hotel. They go in the lot. No, this doesn't look okay. Then the second one, they take me, oh, this, this looks like, let me go up. Hi, I'm Jay Little. Am I registered here? They go, yes, you are. Oh, good. Thank you. And what room am I? It's so stupid. It's so stupid. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Don't believe I'd have told that. Uh-huh. Oh, no. It's just hilarious. I, oh, honestly, I know what you mean because you come in at night, they bring you in an alley, you don't see anything. And I've woken up many a time and not known what city I was in. Yeah, yeah. Because you wake up for that first 10 minutes and you go, oh, where am I? So how long are you going to keep doing comedy? Probably till I have the stroke, I guess. You'll stroke out on stage? Yeah, probably. That's something like I mean, that's the way to go. Yeah. You know, it's fun as long as you can tell jokes and be relevant. I think that's the key. You know, the trick is not to, you know, I, I watched some comedian the other day, an old friend, and he was doing a bit about, uh, do you see that thing about Nixon in the paper the other day? Oh, I'm not a crook. And I go, okay, first of all, Nixon was not in the paper the other day. The audience knows he wasn't. This is an old bit you've been doing. You can't keep talking about Reagan's trip to Pittsburgh, okay, because that's it's 30 years and nobody knows what you're talking about him. So the idea is to, to I, I always tell young comedians, watch Mac, tell me if anything that sounds old. And one of them said to me one time, yeah, what's a photomat boot? You said something was the size of a, what does that mean? I said, you never heard of photomat? No. And I go, okay. And you just learn to take things out. Yeah. Cause I got a son that's just turned 30 and he does not know who Paul Newman and Robert Redford are. Oh yeah. We watched uh, Lawrence of Arabia here the other night. And one of the kids, kids, 32, said, that Peter O'Toole guy's pretty good. Has he ever been in anything else? And I go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple things. Yeah, they think Peter O'Toole is like a porn name. Yeah, really. We don't realize it's a lot has changed. A lot has changed. You proud of your career? Yeah, it's doing all right. Can't complain. If you look back across it, you proud of what you've achieved? I look back across it and I watch all these people who have dropped like flies. <laughs> With this Me Too movie, you know, we did The Tonight Show. My door was always open at The Tonight Show. It didn't shut, you know. Nobody came into my office. Can I speak to you privately? No. Speak to me in front of Lisa yeah. and, the, you know, what's up, you know. You know, the fun part is you get to take care of your family. You get to be, like, I'm a real big shot on my family, you know. Yeah. When I go home, Uncle Louis' house needs a new roof. There you yeah. go. Then when I go, oh, no, the big meatball, that, that big meatball's for Jay. No, no, you, hey, get, get, save the big meatball for Jay. Oh, okay, so I get to be a big shot. Yeah, yeah. You gave me a piece of advice when I was starting out. This was right when I was starting the show. You said, don't ever forget the vision part. This is not radio. Just because it's talk, right. it's not radio. Remember the vision part of television because you said, you know, we used to do the monologue and it was just all talk. People would be folding clothes and they'd be doing this and that and the other. But then we started putting sight gags in and stuff where they had to watch to get it. And it made a huge difference in people tracking and doing what you were doing. And I've never forgotten you telling me, don't ever forget the vision part of television. And it changed what we did with graphics and the things that we do when we're telling our stories. Right, and right. You remember telling me I that? I do remember that. You remember having that yeah. discussion, yeah. And that had a big impact on oh, me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, see, I listened. Yeah, I no, listened. that's good, that's good, that's good. Well, I wanted to talk to you, because like I said, I got a lot of information from you. Well, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me I appreciate me it. Oh, yeah.
If you would like to watch the video of this entire interview, please go to Dr. Phil's YouTube channel and subscribe. It's free and you will find this interview and a whole lot more.